0: welcome to the rsb cast <laughs> it's homecoming week i had to get started here and you know what better than for homecoming week and not to have an opponent because this isn't like deon jansen jackson um deon i was gonna say deon jackson deon sanders and eddie jackson Ooh, you know that was spicy. Johnson, you know yeah it's not like that we got mark schofield back you know and it's always a pleasure to have you back mark you know How's it going over at SB Nation? It must be going pretty well.
1: It's going well, Matt. It's it's great to be back. Um, but yeah, it's it's different. I I'm getting to write about other sports, and I'm getting to make mistakes in other sports. Like I did a preview thing for the baseball playoffs, and I got like three of the first four wild card series predictions wrong. Like I'm screwing up <laughs> other ways too, which is. <laughs> Which is fun. I didn't know I could do that. I'm writing about Formula One racing, which is hilarious. And that is not the reason I'm growing the mustache, but- um,
0: Can you speak in a French accent?
1: Absolutely not. My my son can do a pretty good French, English, and Australian. I don't know how. It's kind of impressive. but no, it, it's been good. It, it's, it's been a new change, but change is sometimes a good thing, and I'm loving it over there. But I'm excited to be back here. Yeah, you guys, well, have you've been crushing it with the pods, though. Like, the one with Laurie is great. Like, all, the one with Felix is fantastic. You've been crushing it, man.
0: Well, we've been having a good time doing what we've been doing. But, you know, obviously, my my listeners have been kind of, the feedback I've been getting from listeners has been has has been you know we like this we like this we're loving this but it's always starts with we miss mark but
1: (laughs) that does warm my heart my my cold bitter dark heart it it gets a little it's like the grinch it grows three sizes when when i hear things like that but it's i I love to hear but like seriously you've been crushing it the the pods have been great i've been listening to them um it's all great stuff but i am excited to be back we got some stuff to talk about which I'm excited to get into um, and yeah it's 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 always it's always fun to see you
0: buddy yeah it's always good to catch up that's for sure and you're always welcome as you know so you know whenever you want to you let us know but uh You know, at the same time, you know, we won't be raising German Shepherds here. We're not going to the homecoming dance together, though. That's okay if that's what you guys like to do. But that's—we're both married, so you know, I don't want to make Rochelle jealous, you know. And exactly, and you know, that mustache—it, you know, it works for it it works for Tom Skerritt. It's not doing anything for me, buddy. But that's okay. Yeah, I'm
1: trying to pull off the Viper from Top Gun. It's, It's coming along.
0: Yeah, it's coming along. So. Let's get started here with a guy that maybe needs a mustache in his life. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. But it's Joe okay. Burrow and the Bengals. So what's going on with Joe Burrow? Do you, you know, we've got these two high shells. And, it, you know, it seems to be messing with a lot of these quarterbacks these days. Are they having to just learn how to be patient? Is Joe Burrow one of those guys? Or is it something different?
1: It's almost like he lear- needs to learn to be aggressive again. Forget patience. Be aggressive again. And what's interesting is, you know, I wrote about this earlier this week and and I, I, I didn't feel comfortable going to this point, but I really feel like they miss CJ Uzama. I hmm. think that's what they're kind of missing right now. And, you know, I highlight, you know, NFL passer rated, it's not the most, it's not the best metric. It's not perfect. A few metrics are perfect. You know, they're all parts of the puzzle. But if you look at NFL passer rated over the middle, you know, from 10 to 20 and 20-plus. 20 last year, Burrow was one of the best in the NFL, attacking the middle of the field, which is one of the weak spots of these two high coverages. It's, it's, he's been below average or worse this year. And it's not like, I think when I rewatched CJ Uzama from last year to see if that was really the missing link, there were like eight or nine plays where, yeah, he attacked the middle of the field. It wasn't enough to make me comfortable, like, yeah, that's the missing link. But then you watch that offense this year, they've got a lot of times it's Tyler Boyd running those uh, those out routes, splitting the safeties, and he's open, but Burrow's not throwing them. And because he's been an effective target in that area, because he's not uh, as aggressive as he has been in the past, those two safeties, they're worried about the other weak links in these two high looks, which is the boundaries, which as we saw last year, Burrow was great. Higgins, Chase, the deep ball, those whole shots, he was hitting those. Partly because maybe safeties were worried about both weaknesses between them and to the outside. Now when you're not stressing that middle of the field, the safeties feel more comfortable stressing to the outside. The other thing to remember is this, and I I wrote about this, Mike Renner's written about this. We have this idea, this conventional wisdom that you see too high, cover two, cover four quarters, quarter, 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 half, whatever. You run them out of it, right? You just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. They'll eventually give in. Defenses aren't playing along right now. Like, if you look at the Bengals this year running the football against these two high looks, they're pretty good at it. You look at yardage per carry, you look at EPA per Russian attempt against two high, they're very good at it. Their EPA against two high looks is better than league average just across the board. And so you think, oh, well, teams will just get out of it. Defenses aren't playing along because they're just thinking, go ahead, run the ball, that's fine. Make Joe Burrow a spectator. Make Patrick Mahomes a spectator. Make Josh Allen a spectator. We'd rather them turn and hand off and become a spectator than throw the ball. So we'll stay in too high, and we'll give you five yards on the ground. If you want to have a 15-play drive where you're running the ball 14 times and then it's a check down, we'll take that. you know. And, and so Burrow needs to figure out how can he stress those safeties again, and I think it comes from attacking the middle of the field and being effective when he does it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because at the same time, you know, when we look at that, is it, I would love to, I, I want to go back and look at some of the game situations just to see if whether, whether those defenses were right. You know what I mean? Like, were the defenses right in that sense? And if, if Cincinnati, did Cincinnati just get out of the run because they got impatient with the fact that they were going to do 15 play drives because it may because I don't think any of these offenses are used to that anymore. And right. I know the quarterbacks aren't. The quarterbacks are like, yeah. look, I'm getting paid all this money to throw the ball, you know? This is
1: part of the tension that I thought we were going to see this year, albeit in a different way. I thought the story of this season schematically was going to be, were quarterbacks going to be patient against dropping? Like, I thought that was where we were going. we see what the Bengals did to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and Mahomes struggled to be patient. Reed and Vietmi struggled to be patient and just take what they were given against those drop, I thought that was going to be the story. It's more the, our quarterbacks, our offenses, our play callers going to remain patient against two high looks, or are they eventually going to be, we want to throw the ball. So we're just going to, we're going to be, you know, aggressive and throw the ball against these two high looks. And if that is the case, then you have to stress the weaknesses of these coverages, which are between the safeties and to the outside. Because like anything in, in football, if a, if a defensive player or a defensive coordinator just has to worry about different spots on the field and can write off another area, they're going to be pretty good. Look at what's, what's happening to Russell Wilson, right? Yeah. Like, and, I, and you and I have talked about Wilson offline. But part of the issues with the, the Broncos offense right now is sort of similar, right? Attacking the middle of the field. Yeah. If you know that everything's going to be outside the numbers, that makes your job a little bit easier.
0: Yeah. And it's fascinating because you do, you know, to me, it's part of that whole adjustment. I mean, you look at, there's probably some teams that just need to be, need to be running the football, you know, and need to be sticking to it and know that this is how it goes. But part of it too is what kind of confidence do they have in their defense? And also it's a switch in strategy. And whenever you have a switch in strategy, it, it scares probably coaches, to a degree because now they're in unfamiliar territory and you know how coaches you know you change oh, their yeah. you change their favorite blanket or their sandwich or whatever and they fr- freak out you know yeah. they are they are worse than cats when it comes to routine you know yeah, and, cr-
1: football players and coaches are all creatures of habit like down to like i remember reading john matt in one of his books and he said look if you're traveling with a team and you have a flight delay like you better tell them immediately because the second you see a bunch of offensive linemen standing at the gate wondering what's going on, that's a terrifying sight for a coach. Like <laughs> they're, they're all creatures of habit. And if you've been a football player your whole life and now suddenly you're a coach, it's not gonna change.
0: No, it's not gonna change at all. And and I laugh because then I start thinking of John Madden and I, that makes me wonder if if Ken Stabler didn't try to sneak out on the night before the game, him and a bunch of offensive players, that, and that and him. get caught? Did that worry him? Yeah, because yeah, it's like,
1: wait they they made cur- curfew. Yeah, are they sick?
0: What's yeah. wrong? There's no dummy. There's no dummy hidden in the bed. Right. Wait. Yeah. Oh, uh, I bet he. They would check and they go. Yeah, he's gone. There's a dummy hidden in the bed, and he'd go. He'd smile and he'd go. Well, we're
1: gonna win tomorrow.
0: We're gonna be fine. Yeah, exactly. So, do you believe there's such a thing as the hot hand with running backs? I mean, what factors go into it? If you do. You know, cause I had this, we got this question from our, our regular listener, um, Ben Sandry and a school teacher up in the, up in the Northeast, um, kind of, kind of in your old haunting grounds. So just curious, what do you think? Is there such a thing I as a haunting? I think the, there's
1: happen? something, I think there's something to it. It's, it comes back to, and this is something that I'm struggled with as a, as a coach of youth baseball conference, you know? One of the things I'm struggling with as a coach of 12, 11, 10-year-old boys uh, in youth baseball is the idea of confidence and remaining confident. When you have that confidence in yourself that you can get a hit, you can make a throw, you can throw a strike, you're a better player. That carries over to running backs, I think. When you have the confidence in yourself to see things, to feel things, to make a jump cut and then a jump cut on top of that, when you're confident and you sort of get into that rhythm, I think it carries over to success in production. And a player I'm kind of thinking of right now is a guy that I just got on watching this morning, Damian Pierce. You know, you see the growth from him this year already as a rookie running back. He had a run against Jacksonville this week where, you know, I'm sure you know it, it's an interior run and he makes one jump cut and then a second jump cut to cut back to his left, driving his right leg. And it's like at a 45 degree angle into the turf. That's stuff that you, like, start to believe you can pull off. And so I think there's an element to that confidence as a running back that plays into the idea of a hot hand. When you make a couple of those moves and you're a bit late, when you make a couple of cuts like that and you're late, when you try to make a cut back because you think you see a hole and you get immediately popped, then you're a bit more hesitant. That's going to have this sort of carryover effect, And so I think there's, like, an emotional, like, feel aspect to that that plays into the idea of – getting into a rhythm as a running back, having some confidence in being that hot hand.
0: Yeah, I think there, I would agree that there is a hot hand. Now where I think that the there's a departure to it, which I'll get to in a moment, but part of that hot hand is, is listen, you're dealing with, you're basically dealing with anywhere between probably 16 to 21 players, you know, in motion in a in a compressed area. Yeah. And you're always dealing with compressed areas At the beginning of the play compared to quarterbacks because you're they're all out to get you and you got to get through the line um so at that stage of the game you have to integrate so many different things into it you know in terms of footwork in terms of your reads in terms of what the blocking scheme is if it's all not clicking for you and you're slightly hesitant about one thing it's the difference between what we saw with say trey sermon to begin the the preseason Right. And what we saw Trey Sermon with a scheme that he felt good at, you know, just on a play or two for the Eagles, where it was something yep. he was more comfortable with. It's it's the difference between trying to cut back in cut back and no, I'm not supposed to do that, and then jump forward and find yourself getting creamed because you, you missed that moment. Or the difference between a Patrick Mahomes throw and an Alex Smith throw late in the game. It's but that's the case what it is for running backs pretty much play after play on most most um options because very rarely you're going to see a wide open hole the problem with that is how coaches diagnose the hot hand because some running backs just are slow starters some need like maybe four or five plays to get a feel for the rhythm of what's going on with a certain player or two maybe it's a certain way that a linebacker shoots a gap Maybe it's the the rhythm and speed of that or how the replacement guard is playing and that he still doesn't quite have a rhythm with it. And if you run a, a committee and you're running the hot hand, you might look at it as a coach and say, well, he was a little tentative on that run or he pressed that play a little too much. You know, like he was trying, yeah. he was trying too hard for the big play on that. And you give him maybe two runs and you take him out of the game. And then, you know, eventually you keep – Two runs, take him out of the game to where he's never in the game. And then he goes to another team and he kills it. You know, he kills it. But he's a slow starter. But like maybe, and maybe that turns out to be like, but once he's once he gets a feel for what's going on, he's an absolute terror. The, the problem is, is that as a coach, you have this whole issue of, well, when do I shut him down and bring the other guy in? You know, there's yeah. another guy who might start hot, but he can't do half the things that the other guy does. Um, once he really gets going, that's why you got a committee right now because you're like this guy. I've seen moments from him where he's awesome, but they don't let him do enough. And then you've got and and I think part of the lack of confidence becomes this vicious cycle where if you're a guy who you know that you're like, I've got to do I've got to do it perfectly. With I got two shots in this game to to keep getting more. And if the coach keeps shutting you down after you've taken those couple shots, now each time you get up there, you can't help but be somewhat nervous to be like, "I've only got two right. shots," and now you're even more. Even though you're trying to bust through that, you, you've you've got this against you because you keep thinking, you, you know, it's not going to work no matter what I do. And the and so as a result of that, the coaches can create uh, a fake hot hand. Situation or misdiagnose the hot hand and how it works. So I think there's more to it than just the hot hand. You know what I mean? Right.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, yeah. And, and it also gets back to the idea that you can't play scared. You know. Yeah. You got to have that comp Like talking about the same thing here, but like I've always said that like at least with quarterback, like the easiest way to lose your job is to play because to play in a way that makes you think you will lose your job if you screw up. Right? Yeah. If you're playing scared, timid, whatever, you're looking but, over your shoulder. Yeah, but then that's, that's the other moves. thing.
0: If you if you play if you if you don't play scared or you don't play cautious to a degree, and your problem is is that you're too aggressive and you're not because it's yeah. it, again the hot hand seeing the balance you're getting the feel, and if you're playing yeah. too aggressive, now the coach is like you're too you're too so uh um, taking too many chances you're taking we too many pass. chances you're
1: too much stuff yeah
0: yeah exactly and then it's like you can't win for losing on that so yeah. so all right who are the best who's the best team in the with the worst record right now
1: <laughs> i'm such a homer. the new england patriots <laughs> I wanted to make a case for the Detroit Lions because I, I was somebody that all summer long was like, look, the Lions are close. Like they're not going to win the division or anything, but they're going to be in sort of the playoff mix. When we get to the post Thanksgiving season, when we start seeing the like playoff hunt graphics before each game, you're going to see down at the bottom, you know, still in the hunt teams, XYZ and the Detroit Lions. We I really thought the Lions were going to be that. I, I don't know watching them rewatching that game Sunday. I don't know if the early injury to Savion Smith kind of impacted that team from a mental state because they really sort of struggled against New England. So I wanted to make a case for the Lions, but the more I think about it, it might be the New England Patriots because say what you want about Bill Belichick, say what you want about Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, whatever. Here it is again, right? They figure things out over the first four weeks, and we're going to talk about one of those things in a moment. They see what's working on both sides of the ball and then they get into October and they start implementing more and more of those things as they figure out what they are on both sides of the ball. Now, also, look, this is the winnable stretch of their schedule. They had a tough schedule out of the gate with those first four games. Now you get Detroit, Cleveland with what they are right now, Chicago, the Jets, and the Colts into their bye week. This is the good schedule, but coming out of the bye, you've got Jets, Vikings, Bills, Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. Like, that's... That's when we really know what they are. But I think we're in that that snippet of the season like we are so many years, having so many years in the past where it's like Belichick has figured it out now. Now can he get this team to do what he wants them to do? And so it's a completely homer pick. I get it. But looking at the teams with the worst records right now, I think it's New England.
0: That's interesting. You know, and I could certainly see that. I'm going to go for the Raiders. I think the Raiders are now they're yeah. de, they're kind of like Detroit Lions, um, you know, AFC version because yeah. their defense is just not good. Okay, but their offense is playing well. I think. I even though well, fantasy people will say, although what we do
1: have some Raiders news, charges were just filed against Devontae Adams, and yeah. he's doing court today. Apparently,
0: yeah, yeah. And that—that's to be expected for what we yeah. saw. I mean, he can apologize, and it's good that he apologized. Um, but yeah, that was—I mean, it, it's a—it's
1: it, a misdemeanor assault. Um, the charges will filed. It doesn't look like he's personally due in court or anything. I would imagine this is a situation that's going to kind of get kicked to the off-season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something to throw out
0: there. Yeah, he'll pay a fine. He might yeah. serve some probation, and he'll. But. You know, this is the type of thing, you know, again, going to be old school, but this is the type of thing 30 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, that wouldn't have happened in our society. Um, Maybe should have happened. That's the question. I think it probably should have. But he, uh, you know, what he did was wrong. Um, But in the scheme of things, I think that, uh, you know, in the scheme of things, it's, you know, there's degrees of... You know yeah. accountability and and yeah. and agrees degrees of justice for this and i think you know misdemeanor and assault charges make sense but even so you know you look at this team offensively they went they went blow to blow with the chiefs and did a pretty darn good job of it josh jacobs is running well that offensive line is playing better than i think people expected um at least on certain fronts cars playing well um and they have a lot of weapons i yeah. i think I, and really, when you t- t- talk about defenses, do you really need defense in, in the AFC West? I don't think no. you do. Doesn't, I don't know. Unless your defense is dominant, you're going to get 30 points on you, probably, you know, from all the teams on, you know, when they're playing at their best. So I I feel like that when you look at the rest of these teams that are out there, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to give that to the commanders, the C the the Lions might give it to the Seahawks but I'm not but I'm not there yet their defense is even worse than the Raiders um I yeah. would argue so um at least the Raiders can generate a pass rush um and I think that that, that helps to a certain that degree that gives
1: them something yeah
0: yeah so all right well then who's the who's the worst team with the best record right now
1: oh man um I, I think we got to look at the AFC South and pick your poison. The, the Titans are the Colts, right? Yeah. Like the Titans are three and two, but they've got a point differential of minus 22. Then you got the Colts, a two, two and one point differential of minus 25. I don't really trust either team on offense right now beyond, say, Derrick Henry. You know, I, I, both defenses have struggled at times. Um, when you lose a game or tie the Houston Texans in week one after everybody, including myself, thought, hey, the Colts are going to be fantastic this year. Like, I think it's time to sort of worry. So those are the two teams that I look at. I mean, I know an easy one is the Giants, but I'm starting to believe in the Giants. I know that sort of four and one looked paper thin, but the win against Green Bay was kind of impressive. So for me, it's the Titans or the Colts.
0: I'm just not, I'm just staying away from the Giants just because, um, for this answer, because anything that Brian Dable's doing with these wide, with this wide receiver core Makes me happy because yeah. I, he's he's actually being a coach and he's not being just a political figure who's like, well, the contract's big. The fact that Kenny Galladay is complaining, company. well, Kenny Galladay's complaint is basically basically saying, well, I have experience. You know, I mean, it's just like the, that worker who's been there twenty years who keeps screwing things up. Right. But they right. they say, well, I've been here twenty years. I deserve that promotion. No, no, you didn't. Maybe they maybe you just got you you got lucky in terms yeah. of you got peter principled into a big contract i think that's exactly what happened so i'm with you i think it's to me i'm gonna go with the titans mainly because i have more faith in and i'm probably gonna be wrong about this but i'm gonna have more faith that the that one the defense is gonna get better for for the the colts i think that um it it hasn't been as bad as the the titans defense um yeah. and i have to think that They're going to figure it out a little bit more on offense because while Paris Campbell eternally never seems to um, meet any expectation that they want to throw at him um, and whether that's because he's not getting targeted or he's just not coming through. I think it's a little bit that he's maybe not coming through so he's not getting targeted. That's part of it. Part of it is Matt Ryan getting adjusted to to new things and that's that. And he's been disappointed and I'm with you. I thought he would be good. And this offensive line has not played great football, but I think that overall I have more faith in that somebody's going to come through. Pittman's playing fine. I think Alec Pierce is playing pretty well. He's getting better. So I think they're going to figure out who they need to go to and, and be able to work that out. Whereas when I look at the Titans, I, you know, Derrick Henry still a Derrick Henry um you know Robert Woods is getting a little bit healthier but he's kind of uh, you know he's in a new situation and I just don't trust I I I I think I'm going to wrongly not trust Ryan Tannehill when this goes down but I'm going to still go with the with the Titans as the 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 best wor- the worst best team you know yeah. so is Geno legitimate long term or or as a starter now or do you think it's too early to tell
1: I think he's legitimate. Okay. I mean, I wrote this summer a piece over at touchdown wire um, before, uh, before I came over to ESPN Nation where I said, here's how Gino cannot just win the job, but keep it. And when I watched him this summer from what he did a year ago, when Russell Wilson went down, I came away extremely impressed. I came away impressed with pocket movement, pocket management, pocket toughness, you know, aggression downfield, understanding leverage, understanding coverages and route concepts. and, Largely, that's played out, you know, to form, to kind of what I expected. I think, you know, some of the throws he's made this year, some of the throws he made last week were some of the best throws we've seen from quarterbacks this year. I mean, the throw he had rolling to his left, you know, that's the kind of thing. It's a meme right now on on social media. Well, if Mahomes or Allen did this, and it's a a picture of, you know, Kirk Cousins throwing a check down. this This was a legitimate throw that, yeah, if Mahomes or Allen did this, it would be immediately blown up on social media, but it's Geno Smith. I think he's a legitimate long-term option for them now, which, if that holds, is fantastic for Seattle. Now you don't have to worry about the quarterback market. You don't have to worry about getting that evaluation right because let's all remember, Allen and Mahomes, not everybody saw this coming. I mean, I'm working on a piece right now about this game, we're going to see from those two guys about how they broke the quarterback evaluation process because not everybody saw this coming. And even those that might have seen it with, say, Mahomes, like you and I, might not see it with yeah. Allen. Yeah. Right? Allen so, was shakier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I think if you could avoid that quarterback roulette wheel, like the Seahawks might be able to do so, that's huge. So I think he's a legitimate viable option long-term.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think so, too. I mean, I thought he made the best throw of in- – he made the best throw of the season thus far um y- y- you know in that game against yeah. the uh, against the, the Saints and and certainly he hasn't faced great defenses um he's faced good ones and when he yep. did he was not he was not particularly productive but it was the first two games of the season so you kind of want to put take that in more into account so are there some things that maybe defenses can throw at him that we haven't seen yet? And we'll see if he struggles. Yes, that's that possibility. But I think after the number of games that we've seen, and he's always been good in the pocket. I went back and looked at some pre-draft evaluations of him and and his his pocket skill, his movement, his ability to keep his eyes downfield was always strong. Um, yeah. So, And I think a lot of what happened is he wound up in New York. He wound up with Rex Ryan. He, you know, he ended up in that turnstile and now he's been kind of just working his way behind the scenes and Seattle, you know, you understand why Seattle got rid of Russell Wilson. I mean, part of that was that he, he cost them a ton of money and they couldn't get any better parts. And, you know, you could say, well, he couldn't lead him alone to a super bowl. Well, you know, there he's in mid-career form was John Elway in mid-career form going to take a pay cut. Probably not, right, you know, Now these players, as they get older and wiser and want to win a Super Bowl and have a legacy, start to take those pay cuts and realize that they can't do it by themselves after they've tried. Um, right. So I think that uh, I think that they made a good decision, and obviously they they were probably slightly less surprised than we were that this was going to work out the way it did obviously you know from this perspective and and as a result of that you're looking at a, a player who now I mean he's going to demand more money at some point but for at least the next year or two you're probably going to get a good deal out of him yeah you know and you know now I will be interested to see what he demands and 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 how that works out for cuz they may have to go back to the wheel anyway If he ends up being like, I demand a trade, but I doubt he does. I think he's going to be like, I'm happy to be starting somewhere. I'm happy to be
1: starting. This is a great environment and situation for me. And now if you can build around me and I can get, I can cement that legacy.
0: Yeah. Like, that'd be a heck of a story. And they might be able to incentivize him in a way where it could, it could still work out for him. So I'm with you. So who's underwhelmed you thus far, whether it's a player or a unit or a team?
1: I mean, I think the Packers have been somewhat underwhelming in a sense. Um, I expected more from them, you know, both sides of the ball. I expected more from them, honestly, on the defensive side of the ball. I think going into this year, the idea was, oh, it's going to take Rodgers some time to sort of figure it out with, you know, Romeo Dogs and Christian Watson and that offense. But that defense is going to be athletic. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to get after it. They've been sort of underwhelming. So that's – I might have skipped myself and sort of gone to the next question here. Um, but a team that has been better than I thought, or a player that has been better than I thought, Daniel Jones. Yeah. I Daniel Jones has been better than I expected. I sort of expected. I was wondered if we were to see Tyrod Taylor early. Yeah. Not because of injury, but because of ineffectiveness. But instead, Jones has played well, and Dable has done some things that have put him in a position to be successful. Saquon Barkley is back and is healthy. I think that's a big part of it. He's explosive again. You know, I'm reminded of seeing him live at Penn State and just hearing that sound of that stadium just hold their breath collectively every time he touched the ball. He's that player again, at least right now, you know, because he's healthy. It's I remember reading t- training camp reports. Where we're like It's the first time he's been healthy since his rookie year. And so I, I think that helps too. But Jones, I think, has been a lot better than I thought.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's true. And I think that when you look at, I just, the, the giants as a whole have surprised me. And I think a lot of that is again, that what we tied back to with the coaching contract and looking at the contracts and the wide receivers and saying, I don't care. Who's the most paid, the highest paid guy. I care about who's going to do what I need them to do. And I'm, and I've gave them notice on this, this summer, and I'm sticking with it. And as soon as Daniel Jones made a bad play, Dable was in his ear. Maybe he needed some hard coaching. He needed somebody to say, "I don't care. I don't care what Manning coach you had, or right. whether you had that Manning coach, or you went to an, an an elite ACC school in terms of academics. I don't care whether you were Dave Gettleman's you know, love child or whatever. You need to." This is what you need to do, and and I'm giving you everything you need. You got to get it together. And some right. some players need that. Some players are good with hard coaching, and and it, it gets them confirmed that they're there's like a part of them that gets more locked in when they get yelled at or they get corrected very quickly. And I think that he's one of those players. Um, so I would agree that that's one of those teams. I think the Cardinals, while we should have probably seen a lot of this coming, um, it's still, when you see the personnel and you see the way of what they have, it's just not, uh, it's just kind of underwhelming from that standpoint because it's just an eternal thing. Um, There really isn't a, that's the closest team to me that's kind of underwhelmed for me. I could say the Cleveland Browns defense, their run defense, because even after... You know, unless Garrett is really still banged up and they just panic so much after watching the Falcons decimate their their edges because their defensive ends behind Clowney and, and Garrett were so bad. But just when the Chargers, who don't have 100-yard running backs, I mean, it's been 17 games. They've had two 100-yard rushers in 17 games before they decimated the Browns' defense with Clowney and Garrett back. That would probably be one of the major surprises to me too, because I thought this, this team would probably be more like, you know, rather than giving up 125 points a game, maybe they'd be like in the Colts range of things, like just under 100. And so I'm, I would say those two units probably do it for me. And then the, the player who's probably surprised me in a good way thus far, other than Daniel Jones in, in that respect. I mean, God, God, I I I think that probably from that perspective I think Damian Pierce's running has surprised me a little bit like I knew he's a tough runner but I wasn't sure he was going to get the creases that he got either um yeah. so in in a in a in a way he's been a mild surprise so let's let's talk about him let's talk about old Skylar thompson and his debut did you see it what did you think
1: I saw it. I thought it was kind of underwhelming. But I also think it's important to remember he was a third-string quarterback going into that game in a seventh-round draft pick who, when Miami drafted him, they didn't think in a million years that he might even make the roster, Yeah, let alone be counted on in week five of the NFL season to play meaningful snaps. And so I think this is a good reminder of context and the power and importance of context because... In a vacuum, was that a good quarterback performance? No. Other than it's sort of a couple of throws here and there and his acting job on the touchdown when he's like looking around to the sidelines and sort of selling that play a little bit. No, it wasn't. Let's see what he looks like this week. City will see what he looks like because they are preparing for him to be the starter. It's It looks like he is going to start this week against the Minnesota Vikings. Let's see what it looks like with a full week of prep, with a full week of game planning being done, for Skylar Thompson and not for Tua or Teddy. And so I think we should sort of remember the context, remember the entirety of the situation here. It was an underwhelming performance. It didn't look great. It's not a situation where I'm like, yeah, I can pick a throw here or there and say this is going to be the guy going forward. But let's see what it looks like come Sunday afternoon, Sunday night.
0: Yeah, I would say I would go into it and say, I thought the first half was pretty good considering the circumstances. Yeah. Um, I thought that he managed that he threw the ball away, which is something that a lot of young Sometimes quarterbacks don't do. And he did that multiple times. He had the interception. He had his arm got hit, you know, and it was one of those plays where would you say he took too much time? I'd have to go back and take a second. Look, it was close enough that you could, yeah. you could argue that the ball was coming out. He just got hit. <laughs> then I would say, you know, he made a couple of good throws, but it was clear that when you're a third-string quarterback who didn't get any reps, really meaningful reps, to, because your second-string quarterback had to get all the reps to get ready for that game because of the first-string guy being out, you come in on play two and you're lost, and it totally makes sense. So no red zone looks, which is which is most of the things that you would want to, most of the practice, a lot, at least half of practice is red zone stuff. You know, yeah. so he had no red zone practice, and so the the Dolphins were scared. I mean, the minute they got in the red <laughs> zone, they were like, "Nah, we're taking the ball out of his hands." Short yardage at the end of that game, they, they, before the game got out of hand, there was a short yardage play, and they ran a fullback option play. That's enough to tell you that they just—they just didn't feel like he was ready, and they had—they didn't give him time to get ready. But yeah. when the—but there were some good throws. There were some throws that you know, they, they weren't anything amazing. They weren't like the stuff that we looked at and said, look at those layered throws that he made that were with confidence or things he did in the preseason, but they were throws that there were some drops. Um, and, and then there were, there was the, the, the sack, there was the sack fumble that he took too much time at that yeah. point. He was pressing he took too much time. And that was clearly him. Um, so when I, you know, I look at it overall, you know, even like it was kind of funny because even like, Former coaches and quarterbacks. I happened to, when I was rewinding, and I got caught the NBC or whatever CBS podcast, uh, the CBS halftime. I heard one of them say, you know, one of them say, yeah, he, you know, their rookie's playing pretty well for a rookie right now, and I think the, they're thinking in context of he made good game decisions and he didn't completely do so bad that they were down twenty-one to begin the game. So you know. I go back and look at this and and I'll say, for context, you know if he can generate two hundred and thirty to two hundred and fifty yards and one and two scores this week without any real mitigating circumstances that would excuse him from doing less, I think that's a good follow up week for him, and I'll mind you that that Tom Brady's first start was a thirteen for twenty three one hundred and sixty eight yard one interception performance against the Colts on September 30th, 2001. So while we're not saying that, you know, Skylar Thompson's going to be the next Tom Brady, I have gone as far to say he will be the next, he could be the next great anomaly of the draft. And that includes Tom Brady or Tony Romo or some other players that that could happen if things work out. Well, we're going to get a chance to see how how he performs against a Vikings defense that, um, you know, has some good players on it. Um, Can get home pressure-wise. And an Eric Kendricks is always very difficult um, player in coverage in terms of dropping back on those underneath throws. So we'll see if Thompson can do anything there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it'll be an interesting test, but it is important to remember like situation, context. Now he's going to get a week. We'll see if we see some of those those layered throws because... He can throw the ball. He's tough. He's a quote unquote gamer. Like I remember when we did the show on him, he talked about some of the throws he made in that game against I think Texas, yeah. where it's like guy catches it, you're talking about a touchdown, speaking of drops and so
0: Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. I thought I thought he was reasonably poised, considering what I've seen from other players who yeah. who fit that bill. I think of like Logan Woodside when his you know, in some of his first looks and it's just like two interceptions. Early in the game yeah. and put in purgatory. So, or yeah. Will Greer, you know.
1: I mean, even pick it like through. I mean, one was a hail mary, but sure. his first action, it was like two picks. I, like, mm. yeah,
0: exactly. yeah. He had
1: the two touchdown runs, but like two picks. Eh.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, then Thompson nearly had a touchdown. It was just a, you know, it was a checkdown to to Moster on a swing pass, and Moster got within inches of the goal line. They originally called it a touchdown. So, I mean, yeah. you know, again you know, like you said, underwhelming, but kind of expected to be underwhelming considering the circumstances. Right. So were you surprised the Patriots returned to a more gap-heavy run scheme this early after this all these flirtations? I had fans writing me and going, can you please do something to, to talk about this? Because this seems alarming to us this summer that they're going to go wide zone.
1: Absolutely not surprised at all. Absolutely <laughs> 100% not surprised. I mean, we knew... Back in August, Dante Skarniecki, their former offensive line coach, sat down with Karen Gergin of the Boston Herald and said, look, if we get through joint practices, preseason games, and it's not working, they're going to shift. They're going to go back to what they do best. It's what we were talking about 20 minutes ago with Belichick, right? You take the first four weeks as that extended preseason, and you sort of figure out what you do. I think they had, 12, according to Sports Info Solutions, 12 outside zone, wide zone runs in week one, and then three after that, like they didn't run a single play that SIS charted as like gap power in week one, and after week three, they were ha- they had the most of the league because they went they were like you know what, doesn't it's work, just not work. It doesn't work. And again, say what you want about Belichick and the Patriots, all the palace intrigue about play caller Judge versus Patricia and all that stuff. Something else I got wrong because I thought I was going to be Judge, but it's it's Patricia. They move on from mistakes, whether it's roster construction-wise or scheme-wise. They were like, look, we're going to try this. It hasn't worked. They could have banged their heads against the wall, against the edge for six weeks, seven weeks. We could still be talking about they're still trying this wide zone, outside zone, and it's not working. They said, no, it's not working. It's not who we are. It's not what we do well. So, no, I'm not surprised by this shift at all.
0: Yeah, me neither, because the Patriots are very predictable in certain ways, and that predictability is a good thing. Now, I'll, I'll joke and make fun that they can't pick a wide receiver to save their lives in their scouting processes and their, their scouting processes.
1: Their boundary wide, they're, they're they can get slot right. Yes,
0: slot's good. Partly
1: because it's an easier position to play with yes. two-way go. They can get slot right. Yes. They can't figure out outside receivers to save their lives.
0: No, they can't. And and when I hear, like, you know, the athletic, they, had, they brought on um, – Scarnecchia and and yeah. how Scarnecchia talked about their process. It felt like it's like let's bring cousin Joe in to do this and and Uncle Pete to do that and and Aunt edma has got this kind of interesting thing that we do. And they call them up and you could just see like a typical like New England family or Boston family calling each other up and it could be completely comical. We need like a comedian to like write the script, you know, mm-hmm. on around draft time, but around. But when it comes to in-game adjustments, when it comes to game-to-game, week-to-week adjustments and going, what do we need to do that works? Bill Belichick has always been about, let's get players who are flexible and can do different things. And we'll, see, and we'll try and figure out what's going to work well, where a lot of guys are so ego-tied to their scheme into what they're doing they're trying to force players to do things that they can't do. And as a result of that you you're seeing why the Patriots have been so good year after year after year that more teams need to learn because he's actually a coach. They're actually coaches, they're strategic and they understand that when strategy isn't working, they're not somebody who's hanging on to their pedigree, you know, to to get double fist every bit of cash that they got and hold on to that. Knowing that they're going to be fishing sometime in the next couple of years, or buying eight hundred thousand dollar houses every month for the next forty-eight months, Matt Rule. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, one imagine that eight hundred thousand, eight hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars a month for the next forty-eight months. So yeah, okay, you're not buying eight hundred thousand dollar houses per month because of taxes, but still, you're you you know you could have quite a nice real estate. Um, Portfolio. Not a bad gig if you can get it. Yeah, not, not a, bad a bad gig. Not a bad gig
1: if you can get it. Although it's interesting, Jimbo Fisher's buyout is like $96 million or something like that at Texas A&M. And I actually saw a story today that was like, Texas A&M is a great landed spot for Matt Rule. And it's like, well, why don't you just trade the two? Like yeah. wipe off the buyouts, trade the two guys, let's have some fun.
0: <laughs> I just, wow. I, I want to see one of these guys drive an Uber one day. That's what I want to see. No, I mean I want. to
1: get. What would you do if you called an Uber, and it arrives, and you look at it, and it's like your driver Matt will be there in five minutes, and you're like, oh, interesting, same name, and you get in and you turn around, and it's Matt Rule.
0: I go. I forgot something, and then I yeah, would like exactly, get out. Right? I'd get That's up. like a like
1: I forgot something. Um, I, you- I'm really sorry. I'll give you the tip. I'll give you a five star
0: yeah we'll head on and then i would yeah, just walk uber, in the door no, laughing i would just yeah. walk in the door laughing yeah though i will say knowing what people make doing uber you know i might i might do that someday so but i'm, right. I'm not getting paid 96 million dollars a year anyway so that's not not, yet you know, not not yet at least yeah exactly give me another few months it might happen yeah. okay so DeAndre Hopkins, his imminent return. Is it going to help this offense or is Cliff one of those, is he the anti-Belichick and he's going to figure out a way to be doing Uber in like a few months?
1: What over the past couple of years has given us any indication (laughs) that Cliff will figure this out? This is my my immediate response to this question. Will Hopkins' imminent return help this offense? No. And that's that's not an anti-DeAndre Hopkins statement. He's a fantastic wide receiver, one of the best in the game.
0: Well let's turn it in, a- let's turn it into something else then. Because that's it's that obvious. Where would you like to see DeAndre Hopkins finish his career if we if he could have a chance? I know it's not likely to happen. Um it's more likely to happen of what coach would you like to see land in Arizona to help this offense out, but where would you want to see DeAndre Hopkins play? Right now? Yeah.
1: Sitting there October twelfth, twenty twenty two?
0: New England Patriots. New York Giants. The New York Giants. There you go.
1: Imagine him being the Stephon Diggs to Brian Dables, Daniel Jones, Frankenstein quarterback right now. Yeah. That's a perfect spot. Because the other thing with with Hawkins is this, under Dable, he'll move him around. Yeah. DeAndre Hawkins is a fantastic receiver. He's great against press coverage. He's physical. He's strong. He's strong through the catch point. Still, the idea that you just line him up to the left side and just say, hey, run your route. 60 times a game move him around a bit dable will do that does he take Stephon Diggs and just put him in the left you know boundary as an x and just say hey run your outs no he moves him around a bit so what if he's great so what if he could be press coverage move him around give him a free release from time to time let him have a two-way go from time to time have some fun with it in dable's hands i think he'd be fantastic
0: i i'd like two places for him right now it'd be green bay um and yeah. and then and then L A. and just say, Alan, you can do what you want yeah. to do. That's fine. We'll put you over here. You can play. You 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 can play whatever game you're playing over here. And we're gonna we're gonna redirect the offense between Cup and 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 Hopkins here, and let Stafford have somebody who he can lean on in that in that degree. Yeah. So so yeah. All right. So that was one of my bad questions. I'll just say, who are the quarterbacks at least who at least temporarily are being found out? after the league has gone too high
1: you know i think the easy answer and it's been a point of discussion over the past couple weeks is burrow and you know we sort of opened the show with that and that's one answer i mean i think another answer you know looking at numbers versus too high russell wilson and matthew stafford you know they've struggled against too high looks i think it's for different reasons you know i think with wilson hackett needs. Hackett and Wilson need to come down and figure out what do we want to be offensively? What do we want to be? Because I think there's a Nathaniel Hackett idea of what they want that offense to be and a Russell Wilson idea of what they want that offense to be. It's not meshing right now. Like Russell Wilson is still a great quarterback, great great talent, but he is what he is. He's at his his most comfortable attack into the numbers and outside. That's kind of always who he's been. And he found ways to make it work in Seattle, sometimes by – Sort of extended plays with his athleticism but maybe that's not there for him right now yeah and, and so they've got to figure out how that works i think it's more schematic with stafford and that he's he doesn't have that backside big guy right now yeah. it was woods before woods got hurt then it was odell when he came over and now they they don't have that and so much of what they did last year schematically was your front side concept which had cooper cup folded in it in one way or another where there was an option route or whatever And if that wasn't there and you get too high, bring your eyes to the backside dig, throw that backside dig in front of those two safeties. They're missing that. And so I think they're sort of struggling with that right now. And they're doing things like Ben Skorodek at fullback and running sail routes to him out of the backfield. And it's fine. It's fun. It's great. It gives us something to write about. But I think what they're missing is the ability to sort of break down too high like they had last year with woods with odell and some of the other ways they did it so i think those are the two guys in addition to burrow where i'm like they got to figure some things out because we all know how this sport works if you can't do something against a certain look you better figure out a way because you're gonna see it over and over and over again until you figure out a way to attack it
0: yeah i've been i've been in kind of a russell wilson stand this year because when i watched the first yeah, two we've games talked about this, yeah yeah and i watched the first two games and I thought, you know, I looked at, I looked, I charted those games and he had, he had like 13 drops in, you know, so yeah. I I'll say that they, they could have easily been even better than they were right now. And certainly Wilson didn't play well last week. I mean, that was, yeah. that, that was an awful game for him. Um, but I, I would say overall there's, there was a little bit to, there was a little more to do about. Less than you know. I won't say much to do about nothing, but a little yeah. more to do about less than what than than what should be going on here. Um I was going to ask another question, but we've kind of already covered it about too high looks and and what can be done. So instead, I think it'd be fun just to call a little audible here and ask you about you know if anybody's listening to this. I'd love to for you to talk about. You know, I'm sure that when you got this gig to be a national reporter covering the NFL and other sports um, for SB Nation and got that full time gig, you've probably had a chance to look back and have and have some perspective about how you got there and what you did and some of the things and and I would love for you to share with our audience, especially because a lot of people who listen in are are writers who are folks who are getting started who are who are podcasters who do a lot who are in this industry what are some things that you've looked back on that you can look back on and say these are things that helped me get here from the standpoint of like for what you did not what others did for you you're not opportunities you got but what you you did within your control to 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 get to this point because I, I would say one of the, I want to hear all of what you think, but I know one thing that I would see that I think has always been a big strength of yours is that you are very good at networking, but not networking in the way of, you know, having drinks with people and being their buddy, but in the standpoint of, you know, getting to know people, working with a lot of people, doing things behind the scenes you know being a part of a group of people who who do you know who talk about the game and help each other out behind the scenes and i think that that's it's not a, it what and you it's not a click i've seen people who have kind of clicks and that's not maybe net meant to be a mean thing it's just that right. they're their buddies and their friends and they they're friendly so they hang out and they talk about everything together you tend to i i would wager to bet that you know pretty you're like Bob Harris on the football side. Whereas I think Bob Harris I joke is like the is like Jamon Hanshu and 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 Constantine who's between like the angels and the demons and he runs the bar and knows everybody. I would say you're that way with NFL writers.
1: It's funny I've had people, people I call dear friends, people that are dear friends, call me Kaiser Sose. The Kaiser Sose of the football media world because I'm constantly like in the background, like talking with people. Um, but I think one of the things I'm honestly proudest of, and, and first of all, getting this this opportunity, it's largely luck. Look, I, I'm incredibly lucky. I'm incredibly lucky to know people, to have uh, to have helped who have helped me along the way. And you told me not to say that, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I'm incredibly lucky in my personal life. Like I have an extremely talented, wonderful, incredible wife and support system at home that gave me the chance to. Give this eight, nine years yeah. before I got a full-time job. And yeah, not cheers everybody to her. has that.
0: Cheers to her. And you and
1: I have talked about this before, that sacrifices are, if this is something that you truly want to do, a writer, a content creator, whatever, and you want to either get a full-time job or have enough sort of freelance opportunities that it's like having a full-time job, um, it's not easy. It's a grind. And it asks a lot of those around you and it's not always the stuff that they actively do. It's the stuff that they don't do. Maybe they want to make a career change. Maybe they want to do something differently, but they feel like, well, I can't because of what he or she is doing, trying to get into this media business. I can't make a change and do what I want to do because we need that stability in our lives. And so, you know, I I am, I am here largely on the shoulders of my incredible wife. And I, I can't stress that enough. But one of the things that I am proudest of is seeing people that I've worked with, that I've gotten to know, that I've helped along the way go on to bigger and better things. I mean that that is one of the things that I like I I've had people joke about the sort of Mark Schofield tree where you see people, you know, whether it's like a Ted Wynn who spent some time at ITP now at the athletic, or Deontay Lee now with his role at the athletic, a Matty Brown with all the great work that he's done and so many other people around, you know, this industry that I've gotten to know and gotten to work with and then, you know, sort of gotten a chance to sort of say, Hey, you know, you're, you're looking for somebody for this role. I, I can't do it, but this person would be fantastic for you. And to see them go on and, and do incredible work. Like that's something that I, I think I'm proudest of. Um, but from my own personal point of view, one of the things that, that I think uh, I kind of, i did it my way you know i didn't i had people along the way say hey you know you you need to be more like you're always kind of positive you're always sort of writing about like hey this is what a guy's doing well this is what a team's doing well crush some people like be a little bit more abrasive at times like be loud be obnoxious i'm like that's that's not what i want to do that's not what like, it, like when I write about, like I did this week with Joe Burrow, it's like, okay, hey, here's the things that they're doing wrong, but it's not, you know, I'm not crushing a guy or anything like that. It's just, this is what's going wrong with their offense. These are the bits of film and data analysis to support it. And here's some ways that they could potentially figure it out. I kind of stayed true to my voice, to, to what I was, yeah, um, to how I did it. And it's interesting. We recently saw Hamilton for the first time, my wife and I, we actually, we had tickets to see it at the Kennedy Center before COVID. It got obviously canceled. We finally got to see it. And I've been listening to that soundtrack. I know this is like 10 years later. Um, but there's a song from that performance. It sticks in my mind. It's called, wait for it. And it's Aaron Burr. And he's talking about the contrast between him and Hamilton, this young upstart. And he's talking about how, like Hamilton has no patience. Like he's relentless, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be patient. I'm gonna wait for my moment, and it's weird. I've kind of, you know, Aaron Burns is in many ways the villain of that story, and it's, you know, obviously true. He shot Hamilton for Christ's sake. <laughs> but I've kind of identified with that song, with that sort of message, which was like, I kind of did it my way. I I I could have changed. I could have tried to be something I wasn't, but I sort of stuck to my voice, and you know, in, in the long run, I sort of waited for my moment in in a sense, and. You know, that's kind of my story. Like, is it something that other people can do? Maybe, maybe not. I wish everybody that's listening to this and that, that wants something like, you know, the opportunity that I've had um, can get there. If there's a way I can help, please reach out. Um, Cause I, I get asked this, my DMs are filled right now. Ever since I said, look, I'm, I'm going to ask me full time. People saying, how do I do what you did? How do I do what you did? And I try to tell them like, look, you know, it, it's hard. It's not easy. pathways are hard this is a very tough industry um you know and it's going to be a grind it took me like i made the announcement that i was joining sb nation eight years to the day of my first piece going up at inside the pylon and there were a couple of years at the start where like i wasn't making much money at all right and you have to be able to be in a position to make that work for you some people can some people can't again i'm here On the shoulders and back of my wife. It's just the way it is. And I'm incredibly lucky for that. But I think, yeah, the relationships that I sort of built in that sort of networking style you talked about, where, you know, I always sort of believe that, like, look, you know, if an opportunity comes up and I can't do it myself, I want to put somebody in a position to be successful because eventually, eventually, you know, down the road, somebody will say, hey, here's an opportunity. I think Mark would be good for it. And, And in many ways, that's what happened here in many ways i had somebody that's a dear friend to me say hey i heard about this opportunity here i think you'd be perfect for it i'm going to put your name in i'm going to mention your name you should reach out and apply for this and and here i am and so i waited for it just like that so i waited for it and here we are
0: yeah and i think that this highlights what i want to share why i wanted you to share that is thats is that um you the way you go about doing it I think is the positive end of networking where you have cynical people who way well he just knew somebody but the positive part of networking and the important part of it is is that you're literally it's not people take networking it's like well let me schmooze with people and get away with being more of a social mm-hmm. butterfly right. who just takes advantage and leverages those people and then is ne- never gives back to them And there are people who do that. There are people who are takers who just leverage what they learn and, and basically use those people. They may not even realize they do that. And I'm not sub messaging anybody out there. I'm talking about this is in general in life. There are some people who are just really good at that. And you hear stories about people who just like, well, I, you know, I knew him and he, and I taught him this and we learned this. And then one day he just disappeared and took this gig and didn't even tell me that he was leaving our situation, you know, yeah. and and this is, and somebody go, yeah, me too. I noticed that about him too, and me too. And, and, you know, and we went through all this stuff together and as soon as he got this gig, he was like, you know, moving on. But I think what, you know, you do so well is that, yeah, you're, you're giving people, helping give people opportunities through what you did, the way that you described that. And being able to, being able to be a resource for people that does come around in your favor. And, and I think that there are people who will say things like, well, you're just being a stepping stone for, for people, you know, and, and I'm like, well, so, you know, so what, you know, if you like what you're doing and you're, and it's not something you necessarily want to do, but you want to be able to part of being part of having a good format, or having a good thing going on in what you do is that you're giving other people opportunities you yeah. know or you're helping people earn their opportunities um you know and giving them that that stage or that format to show what they can do and and playing them up and i think that that's you know i think that's a good thing that because you that means that you can attract more talent To help you and and you know when they move on you know so like i've had people say well it's like it's a you know with you it's like they say well it's a shame you know we're gonna miss mark and i'm gonna be like yeah but the the time was coming and it was overdue you know it's it's the way that goes and it's not like you're not gonna see them again you know here we are so you know we'll have we'll have alumni we'll have alumni week or or homecoming weeks every once in a while here Absolutely. When, when we can and do that. But, you know, we're, you know, I know that everybody who listens to you, Mark is a, you know, and listen to you here is extremely happy for you and know it's well deserved. And, you know, we've, we've enjoyed having you back this week and, you know, here's to a, here's to a good season. And, uh, for those of you who, who haven't checked out Mark's work, because maybe you're new to this particular, um, podcast you can find Mark at Mark Schofield on Twitter you can find him at SB Nation Um, he does fantastic work with you know covering the NFL he's doing some work with Formula One and 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 baseball apparently as well which you know he has a good voice so you'll get a chance to to hear some of that in his writing with what he has goes on, even if he tells you that he he messed up some things here or there. But I mean, come on, it's formula one in baseball. We're talking football here. Who gives a yeah, you know, I mean, who like, gives a crap? The,
1: the thing to remember for uh, the, the last bit of wisdom that I'll try to pass off we're gonna get stuff wrong. I right? yeah. we get stuff wrong all the time. That's how we learn, that's how we grow. We get stuff wrong when we're writing, we get stuff wrong in life. I mean, that's that's part of growing up. We're all still
0: growing up. You're, Sky, you're the Skyler Thompson of MLB. You know There it that's is. Where we go. Right? It's,
1: that's... It's, it's context. I was thrust into it at the end of the season, trying to figure it out on the fly. Now that I've got a couple weeks under my belt, we'll see what it looks like in the end.
0: There we go. I like that. All right, folks. You guys have a wonderful week.